is a, this is a big topic. Um, and I have, to, I have to tell you that my wife this morning is in nursery, and I think that was on purpose. I don't, she's, she's down in nursery, so that means a couple of things. Number one, it means that the gauge of looking down to her and getting an eye roll of how appropriate I am is gone. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I want to tell you that, that we, we kind of sent out the email and we sent out this idea, if you want your kids here, you guys gauge the age, because I want to speak frankly this morning about this topic. Is that okay with everybody? So we are going to say words, all right? Um, we're going to say the word penis. We're going to say um, the word vagina. We're going to say the word sex today in church. I've wanted to do that for years. Is that, I've just... <clears throat> um, <laughs> there's the, oh, my mother's eye rolling at me. <clears throat> Because, because the Bible addresses it. Isn't it great that we have a God who has spoken to us about this issue? Because he's the God who created it. Isn't that a good thing? And uh, for us to let, I was talking to Doreen this morning about it, for us to let every other area of our world speak to us and our children about sex, and for us to not speak to it from Scripture would be crazy. Is that not true? And so the Bible addresses it, and uh, let's pray. How about that? Can we pray together this morning that God would, would speak to us this morning? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Jesus, your name is so powerful. It is our hope. We recognize this morning, as we engage this topic that there is a lot of pain and hurt and a lot of things that everyone brings to this this morning. So God, I just pray this morning that your grace and your love and your healing and your authority and your word would wash over each of us this morning as we look to you as our hope, as our answer, and as our joy. God, you must speak this morning. Our words are nothing. Your word is everything. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We're going to read that together this morning. And when we do that, I want to recognize that there are a lot of people in this room there is, there's a lot of different people in this room. In this room, there are virgins who have never experienced any kind of sexual contact. In this room, there are married couples who kept themselves pure until their wedding day. In this room, there are folks that came to Christ maybe later or had a perspective of sexuality that was adjusted by, by faith in God and living um, apart from Christ prior to that maybe had lots of sexual experience outside of marriage. There are those who are potentially divorced in this room and struggled, um, those who struggled maybe through infidelity in their marriage in this room. There are those who struggle with pornography and that addiction in this room. 
There are those who struggle maybe with same-sex attraction in this room. There are those who daily struggle with the reality that in their lives they have potentially been sexually abused um, in this room. And I recognize that in a room this size, all of those things are potentially true and present. And so as we come to this topic, as we look to the Word of God for His hope and for His answer and for His design, um, I recognize all of those things. And, and God's love and His grace and His truth is where we can scramble to for hope and for answers in the midst of a difficult culture. Sexual images are all around us today, are they not? Every billboard, every magazine, every commercial. Sex sells. Sex is um, something that is displayed and we cannot get away from. The accessibility to sexual images is at an all-time high in our culture. So our young people are susceptible to it. As a prosecutor... um, as a, as a sex crimes prosecutor and special victims prosecutor, we recognized in about 2008 that smart devices and junior high reality collided. And it was a recipe for disaster. Parents, as they walked through the aisles of Best Buy to get the Christmas gift that their child had been begging them for, to see them open it up and experience great joy, were not thinking about the fact that they were handing a digital camera, an HD video, and access to the internet on this computer that they were going to stick in their junior high kids' pockets. And the implications have been disastrous. Um... So we are facing a new day, are we not? But we're facing an old issue. And God absolutely speaks to this in powerful, powerful ways for each of us. So let's read 1 Thessalonians together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Amen? What hope is in that passage? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? So what is this sexual immorality? 
You know, we see in Scripture adultery, uh, which would be the, the sexual contact with someone other than your spouse. We see in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount that to look upon a woman, as Jesus said, with lust on your eye, in, in your heart, it, you've committed adultery already. So we the, see this idea of lust that's mes- mentioned in this passage and mentioned by Jesus. A thought process, maybe not the physical act of adultery, but the thinking upon other people other than your spouse in a sexual manner. Um, we see the idea of, of fornication or sex outside of marriage. Sexual immorality as a blanket is addressed in 1 Thessalonians. What a powerful passage that is. And I want to look at that and derive from that our hope and our answers to these very difficult questions. Sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity, um, sexual sin has become, in our culture, I would say the norm. Would you agree with me? I think we've normalized it. I think people would say to us, what's the big deal? I mean, it's, it's just sex. What's the big deal? It's whatever you want to do individually with your own body in relationship to your own sexuality and however you feel about it. And that's become the, the norm of our culture, the lie of our culture. You know, North Korea is a big deal, right? Like, uh, we, you know, world peace is a big deal. Hunger is a big deal. Why, why is this even something we're addressing? Why is this even a big deal? And I think we see in Thessalonians that this is a huge deal that is so much bigger than today's issues this side of heaven because it really has an impact on eternity, does it not? Now, if you're a humanist, if you're a naturalist, if you... Uh, don't have any faith in God or a God and you believe that the span of your days is really all that matters here on earth and, and don't have any concept of eternity but just completely uh, consumed with, with humanity and naturalism and that's all that matters, then everything I'm about to say is complete hogwash. But if there is a God, if there is eternity, then the way we behave in relationship to the sexuality that this creator gave us has huge implications and ramifications. We need to look to God for what he says about it and how we're to engage this, are we not? If he is real and he has created us and he loves us. So that's what we're going to do this morning. You know, I think we have to, to look at creation in the scope of this Thessalonians passage really to see God's design. I mean, the reality at the end of the day is that God created this, right? When we think of creation and we go back to Genesis, what do we think of? We think of the eight, like, let it be's. Let there be light, let there be earth, let there be this, let there be that. And we see God's creation of, of trees. We see God's creation of matter. We see God's creation of things, Um, that breathe or that live. We see photosynthesis. We see the way oxygen is made. We see the waters. We see creation in terms of matter and and everything that God created in the let it be throughout the Genesis account. But then we see in Genesis 1, 
24, the, the, the mandate that, that God should go out, or I'm sorry, that God called man to go out and to procreate, to produce, and to take dominion over the earth. So we see the dominion mandate in Genesis. God calls us. He made man. He made woman. And he called them to have children and to take dominion over the land. We see in Genesis chapter 2 that, that God speaks and he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave, cleave to his wife. Amen? Moms and dads, your sons need to grow up and leave. Amen? Come on. Grow up. Take responsibility. Get a job. Cleave to their wives as they fulfill the dominion or the mandate from Genesis to go out and to do these things. God's created this and designed it because it's good, right? God created it and designed it for a purpose. God created sex and sexual desire. We see it in 1 Thessalonians, do we not? Take a look at it again. We give thank, or I'm sorry, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us how you ought to walk to please God, just as you are doing, to do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body. Listen to this. In holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So God has called you to engage sexual desire in holiness and in honor, not as if you don't know God and you just pursue the lusts of your flesh. Does that make sense? So God created sexual desire. He created sexual activity. God, listen, if we think about this in relationship to creation, God, God created us. He created the male genitalia. He created the female genitalia. He created the blood vessels. He created the nerve endings. He, he, listen, God didn't create in the garden and then go away and then Satan came along and drew a little penis in the dirt and threw it on the guy, right? This is not some afterthought in an evil, dirty way. This is something that God did. God created this for your joy, amen? amen. We need to think of it that way. God created sexual desire to be pursued in holiness and in honor. God's creation of this was for procreation, yes, so that we would have children. We see that clearly in Scripture, but not just for that. I don't know where the Catholics got that. Read Song of Songs. God created sexual activity for pleasure. For you to worship him in this. I mean, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Your breasts are like fruit. I will climb the tree and take hold of the fruit. That's the Bible. <laughs> I mean, this, this wasn't, your, your belly is like a heap of wheat. Now, there's some cultural translation that needs to happen here. I wouldn't suggest... You look at your wife and say, honey, your belly is like a heap of wheat. <laughs> right? <clears throat> but, but there is a clear pursuit of one's spouse for purposes of pleasure. Your navel is rounded like a bowl 
that never lacks mixed wine. That's what he says to his lover in Song of Songs, to his wife, as he pursues her for, for pleasure. This isn't just for procreation. He doesn't just say to her, you know, he says, he says you're like a garden and I want to go away and, and go into your garden. And her response is basically, get the keys. Like, like let's go, <laughs> right? <clears throat> he doesn't say your, your belly is like a bowl of wheat. I want to put a baby in it. No, this, this, is, this is him pursuing her for pleasure, not just for procreation. There's an idea that God has created this for joy. That God created our parts and our pursuit of our spouses and sexual desire is something that is glorifying to God and it's something that he's called us to. And some of you are struggling. And I understand, I understand it. Some of you are struggling in so many ways. And there's so many ways by which there's damage and there's difficulty. I think some husbands are maybe desiring that their marriage would experience more of this. Or maybe there's some wives who are desiring that their marriage would experience more of this. There's some who are struggling with different addictions. I, we see from, I was looking at the Huffington Post, that 25 to 45%, and I think the wide range has to do with how truthful people are, but potentially up to 45% of marriages experience infidelity. We see clearly a 50% or more divorce rate. 40% if you don't count second and third marriages, but clearly I think about a 50% divorce rate. The pornography industry in our country is a $13 billion annual industry in terms of what they make. 90% of boys and 60% of girls are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. The median age by which a child in our culture is exposed to those images, the median age, the middle, is 11. Research clearly, clearly shows that hardcore pornography and images of pornography absolutely change the synapses in the brain of the viewer. They have an impact on the way people think and view sexuality in the addiction, in the addictive rates, in the, in the rate by which people need more and more and more and more is absolutely excessive. I can tell you as a sex crimes prosecutor that I have watched hundreds of confessions over the last 10 years of young men weeping in an interview room, sitting with a detective, not understanding why the images kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that they became addicted to child pornography. And what I see consistently in these young men is that it started with the normal stuff. And that wasn't enough. And then it went to this and it went to this and it went to this. These images, unfortunately, 
are so disturbing I can't describe them to you, any normal person sitting in this room upon the description would weep. And it is pervasive in our culture. So pornography is a huge issue. And what we've done, and even if you look at secular, secular sexual therapists, you see, we see in Romans that even the Gentiles sometimes follow the law because it's natural to them. And what we see is there's some natural understanding, even among those who don't know God. And if you look at the sexual therapists who are secular today, namely, I listened to a woman named Maureen McGrath, who's a sex therapist and, a, and someone who, uh, who's prevalent in speaking about this in Canada and around the U.S. She talks about 50%, 50% of people are dissatisfied in their sex life and in their marriage, that they wish there was more. She talks about rampant sexless marriages where there is no sexual activity within the marriage. She talks about the fact that this is a, an unbeliever, a secular woman, who talks about the fact that sex before marriage is teaching people to think of sex in relationship to their own personal desire to just have sex with a person, with a body, with an object, to attain something that they want for themselves. And it teaches people to bring that into their marriage. This is someone who doesn't know God. She talks about the teaching of young girls that and evangelicals have got this wrong for so many years. The teaching of young girls that it's bad, that it's dirty, that it's disgusting, and, and that it's a horrible thing to stay away from it for their entire lives. And then they're supposed to go into a marriage and flick the switch and say, this is beautiful. Yes, I would like to have sex with my husband. And we have marriage beds that are cold because young women have been taught that it's something bad, that it's something dirty, that it's something awful. And now they're supposed to realize in Scripture that it's something beautiful and it's something wonderful and it's something that God designed in their marriage and that doesn't work. So, so girls' education has been that and boys' education has been what? Pornography. That this is how sex occurs and they watch these images and they see these images and if you don't think your young person has access to it and you don't think the kids in school are looking at it because they can get it with two clicks, anything they want, any depraved, despicable image that they want, they got it right here. I remember as a young man, as a boy, wandering into my friend's basement where his dad hit, hid his playboys and me and my friend pulling them down from up above where the cinder blocks were because he knew where they were and seeing those images for the first time. And today, our kids, pff, no problem. Anytime they want it. And the effects that that has on them going into a marriage is, is huge. And the way that they think about their sexual behavior and what it's for. What is it for? Because in all those images, it's for someone else just objectifying, just having sex with an object, just getting what I want from someone that I'm objectifying, not someone that I love and who I'm giving to. So, so 50% of people are dissatisfied with their sexual lives within their marriages, and I think we know why. Even secular people know why. See, God knew what he was doing 
when he created sex. It was, it was that we would leave our mothers and fathers and that we would cleave to our wives, that we would, like the Song of Songs, pursue our spouse and that there would be an intimacy that not only comes from sexual contact but comes from the pursuit of intimacy. Listen to this man in the Song of Songs as he looks at his wife and he says, your eyes are so beautiful that I can't stop thinking of them. Your neck is, is something that drives me crazy. You are a beautiful person. And as they look at each other and they have conversation and they speak to each other, the intimacy grows into a relationship that we see in the Song of Songs. When, when they're speaking to each other this way, then there's a withholding where they step back and they say, but our time has not come yet. And there's a withholding where they do not engage in sexual contact. If you're a teenager here, if you're a young person here, if you're a single, this is what God's calling you to pursue. God's calling you to pursue a relationship to find young men, a godly wife that you can love for the rest of your lives. And that you would date a godly woman and you would have conversations with her and talk with her and speak to her and then withhold from that sexual contact until the day is ripe, like the Song of Songs says. I can look at my wife and I can say there is something between us and our relationship that is completely unique for us that no one else on this planet has ever experienced but me and you. That's what you're pursuing. For those of you who that's not a possibility, for those of you who, who have fallen in this regard, and all of us have, listen, all of us have, in a number of different ways, look at 1 Thessalonians. We're gonna get there, I promise. God's grace is there for you. I hope you don't mind, but as I'm looking at the time, I'm gonna go a little long today. God's grace, his healing it's never too late to begin to think rightly and to have God adjust this area of our lives. Amen? Intimacy. Intimacy is what's missing. Conversation. Listen, college kids, single kids, uh, teenagers, as you start dating adults who are single and dating, once the sexual contact starts, forget about it. You stop talking, right? Right? Come on. We've all been there, those of us that are older, you start, you know, every time you see each other, you go somewhere and make out for three hours and then leave, right? And the conversation is over. And what God's calling you to is a withholding of that in, a, in, a, in an intimate conversation, a developing of that relationship, a pursuing, a pursuing of your spouse, a pursuing of this person that God's calling you potentially to marry in an intimate way. Amen? So God's designed this to be very, very powerful and to actually work. God's design works. I love people who just say, oh, just do whatever we want. It's just sex. Just do whatever you feel. Do whatever you want. Who is this God? Who is this God? He's the one who designed it, who created it, and who made it. Amen? God speaks to this. God tells us how things work. Proverbs says, wisdom cries out in the street. How long are you going to do things your own way when I've called you to do it this way? Proverbs cries out to us as wisdom is, is this woman in the street yelling to us. And in relationship to this topic, wisdom is crying out in the street for you to do it the way that God designed it to be done. Because outside of that will damage and hurt you and destroy you. Wisdom cries out in the street. We see in Isaiah that God describes to his people how to deal with wheat and barley. Right? 
God speaks to these things because the way he designed it to work is how it works. And he gives us instruction in this regard. And he's instructed us here. He's designed it, and it works the way he's called it to work. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians more closely, and I will walk through this as quickly as I can. God's called us in verse 1 to walk pleasing to God. And it says, you have been doing this. I want you to do it more and more. Folks, I want you to hear this. What a great way this passage is written for us. Some of you are sitting here feeling guilt, feeling shame, thinking to yourself, I've screwed up too much to fix this. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. He's calling you to walk today, pleasing to God. And he says, not you've totally screwed up, you're done, you're finished. He says, you've been doing it, but he encourages you in this regard, let's do it more and more. Amen? And then listen to the next verse. It says, like you've already been doing, that you do so more and more, for you know that what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Amen? God's will is your and my sanctification. He has positionally justified us and made us holy, but we walk in an active faith. And as we pursue, as we persevere, as we go after God, his will for us is our sanctification that we would abstain from sexual immorality. Amen? If you've screwed up, his will for you is sanctification. If you've been failing your whole life, his will for you is sanctification. If you messed up this morning and, and clicked on that mouse and looked at images, his will for you today is sanctification. If you just are overwhelmed with the struggle of this, his will for you is sanctification. Who are you today to think you could outsin the cross? You can't. He saved you and he loves you. And his will for you today is sanctification. Amen? Amen? There's grace for you. There's grace for me. But our faith needs to be active. Here is the other deception that this passage confronts head on. And I've heard people say this before. So if you're saying sexual sin leads to hell, like the Bible says, are you saying I can lose my salvation? Are you saying that my salvation goes away? What a complete, deceptive misconception of what your saving faith is. Your works don't save you. The grace of God through faith saves you. But your faith is an active, pursuing faith. You cannot separate your faith, the saving faith, the gift that God's given you of faith. You cannot separate that from your action and your pursuit of God. If there is grace and faith active in your life, you will begin to pursue him, to know him. Amen? Faith is active. And that's what this passage says. The will of God is your, is your, is your sanctification that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Amen? He's calling us to abstain for this because he loves us, because his will is for sanctification. We see in verse 4, take a look at that with me, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust 
like the Gentiles who do not know God. This passage has a little bit of um, challenge to it exegetically. There's versions, if you have the NAS, that maybe say that you would control your own body in the ESV, but it says that you would take a wife in some other passages. And there's different ways of interpreting this. I'm not going to get into, I don't have time to debate which one is more real in terms of whether it would be control your own body or control your own vessel or go take a wife um, so that you would not sin. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, your pursuit of sexual desire, whether it's in controlling of your own body or in the taking of a wife, like in Corinthians says, that you would take a wife, husband, lest you sin, and wives, lest you sin, that you would have a husband. This idea of the pursuit of sexual holiness is so that, look at this, that you would control your own bodies or, or control in a way that you would take a spouse. I'm sorry, I just lost that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So, so look at this. Look at what God is saying here. God created sexual desire, and sexual desire is a good thing. God created us to have it, but he created us to have sexual desire in a way that we do it in holiness towards God and honor towards the other person, not in the passions of our lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God. Do you see the difference? Folks, this is the difference. This is what God's called us to, that you would pursue sexual desire and sexual relationship with your spouse in a way that is holy to God and honoring to him or her, not in a selfish, lustful way as if you don't even know God. And that's the difference between sexual purity and sexual sin. And this is a daily battle. Think about it. What is pornography? You're viewing sexual images for the purpose of getting sexual fulfillment from objectifying an image, who's a real person, by the way, on the screen. No care for her him no care for their lives the next passage or I'm sorry the next verse in Thessalonians says God will avenge when you hurt your brother in this way and what does that tell us let me tell you what it tells us that woman on that image engaging in those acts that you are using selfishly for your own sexual desire is someone's daughter someone's sister it's someone's family member. It's God's creation who's an image bearer of God. And we're using that for our own sexual pleasure with no care or regard. I had a prosecutor come to me the other day dealing with a sex trafficking case of a young girl. And he said to me something interesting as someone who doesn't know God and I think engages in his own personal pornography viewing. He looked at me and he said, man, just met with that victim, and I feel so badly for her. And he jokingly looked at me and said, this job is ruining my porn viewing. And I know that sounds disgusting as we sit here today, but I thought, good. Good, you're seeing the human being 
that is on the other end of that computer screen and beginning to connect it with an actual person and not just an image for your own objective or your own selfish desire. See that young lady in the strip club has a dad and, and probably a heroin addiction and probably been sexually abused. To go take part in that activity is to care nothing for God or her or who she's created to be. It is completely like those who don't even know God to selfishly lust after someone else with no care in the world for who God is. Am I right? So we pursue our sexual desire in our wives and in our husbands in a way that's holy and honoring to God. And that intimacy, listen, we can't outgive God. Listen to this. That intimacy by which God's designed us to engage in sexual activity, where we talk, where we love, where we pursue, where we commit to each other, where we lay our lives down for each other, and then we worship together in sexual activity, produces a sex life that is so much better. Listen, when you look outside, the sexual therapist, the secular sexual therapist will say that all, all this sexual activity outside of this intimacy is dissatisfying for people. They need more and more and more and more and they can never get satisfaction. But the way God's designed it in the midst of marriage and intimacy and the way God's called us to pursue each other in intimacy and in our sex lives is satisfying. It brings joy to us because that's how God made it. Amen? It's a good thing that he's called us to. All right, I'm going to move on. How do we do this? I got to get to that so we can close. How do we do this? How do we overcome this? Look at the passage. And this will be my last point. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Jump down to verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and among and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord's an avenger of these things. And we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not only man, the person they're objectifying, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. How do we overcome this? What is the difference between the person living in holiness and honor in their sex life and the person who isn't? What are they? They know God. Do you hear me? They know God. Now, listen, this isn't knowledge in the sense that, that the demons know God or the devil knows God, right? We see those passages. They, they know who God is. They know about God. But this passage isn't talking about knowing about God. Listen, there are great theologians who teach in the greatest universities in America the depths of the knowledge theologically of God and doctrine who, who frequent strip clubs and who look at pornography, okay? And who live completely sexually immoral lives. It's not knowing about God. It is the active faith and pursuit of knowing God. You guys hear me? God is beautiful. 
God is amazing. Jesus, your name is beautiful. Your name is powerful. Your name is wonderful. We sang about it this morning. And the person who pursues the knowledge of God to know God, they don't sit here in this church and sing those songs in a ho-hum way because their soul sings of God's beauty. It's a knowledge of God that takes a hold of you. It's a knowledge of his greatness. It's a knowledge of his worth. It's a knowledge of his grace. It's a knowledge of his glory and his power. It's a knowledge that stuns you, that humbles you, and that wins you, and that holds you. It's a knowledge of God from pursuing who he is in his word and who he's called us to be and who who he is in Jesus and what he's done for us. Those of you who are feeling guilt and shame, we sung it this morning. God is the God who sent Jesus, and he silences the boast of sin and the grave. We sang that this morning. Your heart should sing if you know God. Some of you have heard the enemy boasting about your sin in your mind, disqualifying you and boasting about the sin of your life. And Jesus comes and says, I have silenced it in the cross because I love you. It's a pursuit of the knowledge of God that you wouldn't, in the last verse there, you wouldn't disregard God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So fight. Have a faith that fights When your hand is on that mouse and you're about to click on that image, quote the scripture. The the Lord is my strength and my song. His joy is from his living water and not my pursuit of this image. And pull your hand off the mouse and worship God for victory in that moment. But it will just take moment to moment as your faith fights in pursuit of God and not temporal satisfaction. Amen? Men, when you are walking down the street and that woman walks by you, and listen, you are designed and you are created to go, that's beautiful, that person is beautiful, and then it ends there because she's not yours. She's not yours. And God has called her somewhere else for someone else, and God has given you what he's given you. And you worship God in that, amen? And you fight every day. You're struggling this morning as a woman. I don't mean to say that you don't struggle with pornography because it is increasing. The percentages and the stats are, are staggering about women struggling with this. Same goes for you. Or if you are cold and indifferent to sexual activity and you don't know why, <coughs> men or women. But I think statistically, as we look, this sometimes becomes a struggle of women. Pursue help. God's designed you to enjoy this. God's designed you to have this joy in your life. And maybe something happened. I recognize that there, as a sex crimes prosecutor, sexual abuse is a pandemic in our society. Maybe something happened that has caused this to be a very difficult thing for you. There is help for you. Pursue it. In men, be patient. Love your wives. Lay your life down for them. Pursue their heart to win them over. If your wife is struggling in this area, it may be a 20, 25 year pursuit and patient loving of her in this area for you, husbands. But go after that. And let 
Watch God move in the midst of our marriages. Let me just say two things and I'll pray. Our hope is that his will is for our sanctification in this area. Amen? And our pursuit and our way of fighting actively in our faith is to know him. Pursue him in the word. Pursue him in worship. Pursue him in accountability. Pursue him in your prayer life. Pursue God as your greatest joy and your greatest treasure. And as he becomes more beautiful in your life, the desire and the battle for those temporal things that would distract you and pull you off track become something you can fight because your pursuit and the object of your affection is Christ. Amen? I know that I did not cover everything that needs to be covered in relationship to this daily battle. My prayer is that the word of God has spoken in relationship to what he's designed this to be and how we can live in it with an active faith and a pursuit of a God who loves us and whose will is for us to be sanctified more and more every day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your design. You are a brilliant creator. And yes, the fall, sin that entered this world has shaken and shattered and altered this area of our life in particular. We recognize that People's desires are off track here because of sin. And whether it's heterosexual temptation and a desire to be with those outside of what you've ordained or, or even homosexual temptation for whatever reason, your grace and your desire for us to pursue you and to pursue who you are and what you've designed it to be doesn't change makes the temptation of what we would desire outside of your plan irrelevant the pursuit of you is what's relevant you would change us that as we repent and turn that you would turn us and that you would Continue to bless us with marriages that worship you in this, in your holiness and in the honoring of each other. That young people would be protected, we pray. Protect them. As they're bombarded with images, the sexualization of our children in this culture is a plague. It is a plague in the clothing, it is a plague. In the commercials, it is a plague. In the movies, it is a plague. In every TV show and YouTube channel and Snapchat stream across our country and our young people are immersed in the deception, in the, in the darkness 
of sexual temptation and sin outside of your plan. And we pray, God, that you would give us wisdom as parents, that wisdom would cry out in the streets for them to respond. That even though they will struggle as we struggle and that they won't come out unscathed, that you will protect them and you will give them marriages full of joy and holy honoring of you in their sex lives and honoring of each other and great joy in the pursuit of their lover as you have laid out in scripture. God, we pray for healing for those who have been so damaged by other people's selfish desires and sexual distractions, God, the the young people who have been so hurt and now maybe are sitting here as adults and have never told anyone. Let them know it's not their fault. That you can heal. That you were there. That you saw it. That they weren't alone. And that you come with incredible healing and love and an ability to, to, to heal those areas that have been so scarred and so damaged because of some other adult's selfishness. For those whose minds have been scathed and altered by the images that they've seen and become addicted to, I pray that you would break those chains in the midst of your gospel, that you would change them, that you would help their affections to be so drawn to you that the temptation for those images would would be discarded, that the reality of the objectification of other human beings who you created would set in and those desires would go away, God, that you would heal the pornography addictions in this room. That you would give strength and active faith in that moment. God, cut off my hand, gouge out my eye, throw my computer through the window. Whatever I need to do, I want to honor you in this. Help us to to fight like warriors who recognize that the implications of this are eternal. Heal our church. Help us to look to you because there is no other. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you?